Welcome to the Awaken Podcast. At Awaken Church, we are passionate about wrestling with and being unraveled by the Christian scriptures. Ideally, we do this together around the table in the neighborhood of Bones. As we see it, Jesus has invited all of us to encounter Him in a diverse community and participate with Him in a mission of loving our neighbors. All right. Um, I'm just so uh, grateful for the way this Roman series uh, has landed in this community. Um, today, I'm excited about this text. Uh, and I also just want to acknowledge uh, the gratitude I feel for uh, some of our uh, British Columbian siblings, uh, Pastor Lee and Pastor Dustin, and um, their co-laborers are here. And I just love that so much. And I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you uh, survived the drive from Kelowna. And I hope that uh, you folks and everybody in our denomination uh, has a really profound uh, time of connection and intimacy at the Banff Pastors Conference this week. Um, and I just pray that everybody driving there uh, is safe uh, and that the roads would be um, livable streets, as it says in Isaiah 58. <laughs> um, okay, so with that, we're going to move uh, directly into the text. I don't always start immediately with the text, but um, uh, did you know, and I think you will understand this here in a moment, that Romans 13, uh, verse 1 to 7, is arguably the most significant passage in all of Western history. You will understand that in a moment. Um, so it goes like this, and I, I'm just reading the first seven verses here, and you've maybe heard this before, probably you have. He says, um, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you wish to have no fear of the authority? Then do what is good and you will receive its approval, for it is God's agent for your good. But if you do what is wrong, you should be afraid, for the authority does not bear the sword in vain. Wow. It is the agent of God to execute wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also because of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are God's agents, busy with this very thing. Pay to all what is due them, Taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is due, respect to whom respect is due, and honor to whom honor is due. Yeesh. <laughs> After the three years we've just had, <laughs> this text is very powerful. Um, and this text, uh, okay, so just, just hear me out. Imagine this text. I say the most significant passage in Western history. Um, the Protestant Reformation. This text was pretty big deal. You have a, a community rebelling against, breaking ties with a, a long-standing tradition, the Roman Catholic Church. And this text comes up, that you are not submitting to governing authorities. Uh, the American Revolution, uh, the United States of America breaking with the British crown. This text came up. You're breaking with, uh, we are breaking with the governing authorities. You're rebelling against that which God has ordained. Um, in 1850, the Fugitive Slave Act uh, came into law in the United States, and in the name of Romans 13, submit to governing authorities. Um, U.S. citizens uh, were mandated to uh, aid in the returning of people who had escaped slavery uh, and to participate in returning them back to bondage because you must submit to your governing authority. Did you know that um, interracial marriage, uh, which is called uh, legally uh, miscegenation, 
was illegal in the United States until 1967. And so if uh, a black person fell in love with a white person, uh, they would be told that they were going against governing uh, the, the governing authorities. Um, did you know that uh, spousal rape was not acknowledged as a crime until 1983 in Canada? Until 1983, um, people experiencing uh, brutal violence were told to submit to their governing authority. Uh, and in Christian tradition, for much of history, um, women were told to submit to their governing authority, uh, who would be their husband. Uh, it wasn't until 1996 that all states in the U.S. Uh, outlawed spousal rape and domestic violence. LGBTQ expressions of consensual physical intimacy <laughs> was illegal in Canada until the 1980s. Um, it wasn't until 2005 uh, that LGBTQ couples were permitted to legally marry. Uh, conversion therapy was outlawed in the last couple of years in Canada, and I had many pastors um, approach me anxiously and nervously like, what are we going to do? We have to still do conversion therapy, but it's illegal, so how could we, you know? And this text came up in, in, in some contexts and disappeared in others. Residential schools were the governing authority of this land until 1996. Um, children were torn from mothers and, and fathers begging for their children not to be torn from them. Um, and the government officials who came to take the children um, believed wholeheartedly that the parents ought to submit to the governing authorities. Uh, the Pope did not apologize until this summer. Did you know that um, former U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions um, quoted Romans 13 um, in like the public media uh, in the last couple of years when um, immigrants, uh, fa immigrant families were being separated at the border and children were being put in cages uh, separated from their parents and uh, former uh, attorney general quoted Romans 13, that those families should have submitted to the law of the land and not tried to cross the border. Uh, the former press secretary, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, um, said the same thing, that it was very biblical to obey the law and suffer the consequences if you didn't. In 2014, Eric Garner was selling illegal cigarettes, one at a time, and was murdered in an illegal chokehold by police officers. And the dominant rhetoric was that if he had obeyed, if he had not broken the law, if he had not resisted arrest, he wouldn't have died, so it's his fault. And Romans 13 was quoted. In 2020, George Floyd was murdered for potentially, possibly using a counterfeit $20 bill. And the dominant narrative was that had he not done that bad illegal thing and had not resisted arrest, then he wouldn't have died in an illegal uh, restraint. The Canadian government banned in-person gatherings during the COVID-19 pandemic. And many churches wrestled with that and whether or not, you know, God wants us to worship and not stop gathering together so we can't obey that law. Um, and other churches um, obeyed that law simply because of their convictions about Romans 13. This text is the one that appears when there's a new law or uh, uh, the amendment of a new law or we're, we're uh, instituting a new law 
or, or, or questioning an old law, this text comes in and it adds to um, the tension and the difficulties. As I was reading about laws in Canada and how the church has traditionally historically responded to these laws, um, I learned something that struck me quite profoundly and made me very proud to be a part of this community. Did you know that treaty is the law of the land? Affirmed and recognized by Section 35 of the Constitution Act in Canada. Treaty is the law of the land. So we do land acknowledgements at Awaken, and there are uh, folks who are like, don't like that, or think it's too political, or like, oh, it's, it's like immediately on the way to neo-Marxism or something, and we get in trouble. And it's interesting because I, say, I think, wow, technically, we are honoring Romans 13, and every week beginning our service by submitting to the governing authorities of this land, which is the treaty law. Treaty is the law of this land. Um, I remember a few years ago, um, an Awakener wrote in their Lent devotional um, a beautiful uh, reflection on the Wet'suwet'en land protectors in northern BC. And they got a bit of pushback, negative pushback, uh, for this uh, devotional. But when you look into it, it's really profound how that uh, very real and very uh, tense and polarized uh, debate in Canada uh, comes into our imagination in light of Romans 13. Uh, the coastal gas link. Uh, would pump 2 billion cubic feet per day of fracked gas from northeastern BC to the Pacific Ocean through the unceded territories of the Wet'suwet'en Nation. It, did you hear that? The unceded territories of the Wet'suwet'en Nation. Uh, the Wet'suwet'en Nation, uh, the Wet'suwet'en government was recognized in a 1997 ruling by the Supreme Court of Canada, which held that the First Nation had never given up rights or title to their lands, which means that forcing, with Canadian RCMP and military, an energy corridor through their land is an invasion akin to what Putin is doing right now to Ukraine. It's an invasion of a sovereign territory. It's illegal, based on Canadian law. This is the most uh, significant text in uh, lawmaking and law obeying in Western history. Romans 13 has often been weaponized against disempowered folks by those wielding power. Submit or die. Romans 13 has been misused um, in evil ways. And I wonder, uh, when reading Romans in context, when reading Romans in light of the Roman Empire, I wonder if the church has ever really heard Romans 13 and the invitation that's there. Think about this. Paul says to submit to governing authorities. Paul was executed by the state. When Paul finally arrived in Rome to meet this church that he writes this letter to, he was in chains. There's um, a text in the, in the Psalms that I love very much, that I think um, embodies or, or fills out a bit uh, the way we under... Did I have, do I have Psalms two, Psalm 2 up there? Did I do that? No. That's fair. We're doing our best. As Counting Crows once said, it's been a long December. In Psalm 2, um, this is one of my favorite psalms where you hear the laughter of God, one of the few God laughs passages in the Bible. Um, uh, the, the psalmist says, Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds asunder and cast their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord has them in derision. 
Then he will speak to them in his wrath and testify, sorry, and terrify them in his fury, saying, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I love that. God looks at the nations, at the kings, at the rulers, at the governing authorities, and laughs. I want to think for a moment with you. There is a photo, and you can move to the next slide, about the story of Moses. And I challenge uh, all of us as a church uh, in a big city like Calgary uh, in 2022 to reflect on how or which governing authority it was that Moses submitted to. The Moses story begins with an, a cruel uh, pharaoh, a tyrant, telling uh, Hebrew midwives to murder uh, the firstborn, uh, murder baby boys, but they don't do it. They don't submit to those governing authorities, and they're rewarded for rebelling. It's the beginning of the dismantling of the Egyptian empire. Moses witnesses what the governing authorities are doing to his Hebrew kin, and in an act of violence, he kills one of the Egyptian officers. Which authority is Moses submitting to? He did not submit to the Roman authority. He actually fled as a fugitive. And I think of Moses as a Christian all the time because I think Moses had three options. One, stay and enjoy and thank God for the privilege of being Egyptian and being raised in an Egyptian household. And just thank God that you have that fortunate privilege and then use that privilege to like be kind and benevolent and generous to others. Just be an Egyptian and appreciate being Egyptian. Or he could empty himself completely and go and labor alongside his Hebrew kin uh, and, and live the life of slavery. Or... He could not be too political, not get involved in all of that, and flee to the hills, i.e. the suburbs, and get a wife and some kids and just focus on the family. And not get involved with all that drama. We don't need to rebel against tyrants. We don't need to engage in political protests. We don't need to sell everything and become poor and become nothing. We'll just go and, you know, love our family. And I love that the, the, the God of the Hebrew slaves appears to Moses in a burning bush and says, none of these three options are the ones for you. You don't get to just enjoy your life in the palace. I don't want you to be enslaved to Pharaoh. I don't know if you've got the gist, but we're supposed to be slaves for Christ. <laughs> Nor do I want you to pretend none of that's happening and pretend it's not your problem. I want you to go and confront Pharaoh and speak truth to power on behalf of the powerless. Very much his mission is a mission of rebelling against and questioning um, and nonviolently-ish challenging uh, the Roman Empire. So the Moses story asks us to remember um, who, what is the actual governing authority that we are to submit to? I want to read to you the second half of Romans 13 and tell me if this helps us uh, sort of understand what Paul is saying earlier in this chapter. Um, he says, owe to no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Love is the fulfilling of the law. The law is love neighborliness is the love uh, sorry neighborliness is the law and what i love about this text so much is because immediately i catch myself like the entitled lawyer saying who is my neighbor surely though it's suetin are not my neighbors right surely the immigrant family trying desperately to cross the border and access a little piece of that american dream they're not my neighbors i don't have to love them right 
who are my neighbors? The question, the answer to that, I think, is the, the New Testament is answering it. Um, who is my neighbor? Well, and Paul has also talked about this in the book of Romans, we were God's enemies. We were God's enemies until God moved into the neighborhood and called us friends. We were God's enemies. And then God moved into the neighborhood. That's the incarnation. And God became our neighbors and loved us as himself. And so who is my neighbor? The same question is then who is, who is God's neighbor? And if that's me, then the people that I consider enemies should also be my neighbor and I should love them as myself. And that is the governing authority, which we are called to submit to, the law of neighborliness. Let me show you um, one thing that happens, I think, when we study the scripture the way we have in, in Western history. Um, you know that like chapters and verses weren't added to the text until the 1300s. Like the original scriptures had no chapter and verse, so there'd be no way to just like read a chapter before bed or preach a chunk each Sunday until you finally make it through Romans. That wouldn't exist. Um, it was just one single letter that you would just stand up and read. Uh, unless you're extremely overworked and, and on the verge of burnout, you probably receive an email and read it and then respond or close it. You don't just read two lines and then read the next before bed the next night until six weeks, six days in, you've read the whole email. So imagine here, I just put the last few verses of Romans 12. And I just want to imagine if you read the idea at the end of Romans 12 into Romans 13 and if it changes for you. So I put just the last few verses of Romans 12 and the first verses of Romans 13. Tell me how it lands. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, persevere in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and pursue hospitality to strangers. That verse did not make Jeff Sessions' uh, uh, speech. <laughs> Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be arrogant, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, all our relations. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. And we know, I'm not going to preach that, but Glendon did an amazing job. We know that heap burning coals on their heads and like, and then they'll suffer because we're passive aggressive and that hurts worse than anything. <laughs> Kill them with kindness, right? Doesn't work. And that's not what that means. It's uh, the, the consuming fires of God's love. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. And the authority that's been instituted by God is radical love for your enemies, radical hospitality to the stranger, and a radical journey downwards when everything in the empire tells you you should be climbing the ladder upwards. That's the law that brought Moses down from his throne into the real lived pain of his Hebrew kin such that he could weep as they weep and react in a violent resistance to the governing authority of Pharaoh. In Philippians 2, this has got to be like one of the most important texts for our faith and for understanding our mission as a church. 
Listen to this. This is how I understand and how I long for our, this community to understand the governing authorities that we must submit to. In Philippians 2, we're told, um, Paul, I love this so much, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests. The law exists primarily for you to protect your private property. Am I right? That's why we have police, to protect your private property, your own personal interests. Paul says, let each of you not look to your own interests, but to the interests of others. What? Radical generosity? Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to him. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above all names, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. Jesus is Lord. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to the lamb, not the lion. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to this dirty-handed gardener, not the executioner. I want to reflect, uh, let's do a case study for a moment, and then we'll just talk about how this relates in our neighborhood. Um, but, and you've heard me talk about this uh, in the beginning of, uh, oh no, in the beginning of the parable series this summer. Uh, Colton Bushi, uh, that's a name that uh, haunts me. I think about him often. Um, you all probably know the story, but just to remind you, in 2016, um, Colton Bushi was asleep, uh, passed out from drinking too much, uh, uh, asleep, I myself have slept. <laughs> asleep, many of you have slept. And asleep and unaware of where he was and what was going on. Um, he was in, in a truck with his friends and the driver of the truck trespassed onto the private property of a Saskatchewan farmer, uh, Gerald Stanley. And uh, not entirely uh, stories that are aligned about sort of why the truck was driving onto the property. Um, the story of the people in the truck is that they got a flat tire and they're driving down the road and there's a sign that says mechanic. And so they drove up to the property. Um, but after a likely terrifying exchange um, between the, the people in the truck and Gerald Stanley and his family, um, the, the people in the truck who weren't sleeping uh, fled from the vehicle after um, Gerald Stanley's son hit the vehicle uh, with a hammer and then the vehicle crashed into another vehicle on his property. Um, the three other people fled and Gerald Stanley um, entered the truck and Colton Bushy was shot in the head point blank while being asleep and having no idea where he was or what was going on. Um, originally, um, charges were pressed against Gerald Manley uh, for manslaughter because he accidentally, you know, shot a human being point blank in the head who was asleep. But all charges were dropped uh, in 2018. Um, and, and the story was that the gun misfired. And technically, Gerald Stanley had every right to protect his property. And Gerald Stanley, uh, sorry, Colton Bushy should not have broken the law and trespassed. And so if all parties had obeyed the governing authority of the land, nobody would have gotten hurt. Um, it's incredible. Romans 13 could technically incriminate Colton Bushy, 
Uh, not for getting drunk. It's not illegal in Canada to go to the river with your friends as an adult and have a few too many and fall asleep. It would be if you were driving. You can't do that and drive. You can't do that and take care of minors. Um, but it's not illegal in Canada to go to the river and have fun with your friends as an adult and drink too much. But it is illegal to drive and trespass onto someone else's property. Uh, though technically Romans 13 could very much incriminate Gerald Stanley because by the law of Canada, Gerald Stanley is fully responsible to be in control of his firearms at all times and to keep his firearms up to date and make sure his firearms have been well cared for. And therefore, if one of his firearms misfires such that it kills a young man, uh, that would be, by the law of Canada, the responsibility of the gun owner. But he was fully acquitted, all charges dropped, and um, his fellow uh, Saskatchewan peers raised hundreds of thousands of dollars um, to support Gerald Stanley uh, in the difficult time. I want you to imagine with me a bigger imagination for Romans 13. What would it look like? So we could just use Romans 13 and say, well, you shouldn't have trespassed. And that's the end of the story. If you hadn't trespassed or been with trespassers, you wouldn't have been, in, you wouldn't have gotten killed. So it's your fault. But imagine with me if Gerald Stanley had held Romans 13 in his heart and understood Romans 13 as radical love for your neighbors. Maybe he would have approached the truck and seen a passed out young man and maybe him and his son would have uh, brought him into the house, made him a hot coffee, called his mom, assured him that he did nothing wrong, told him where he was in case he was confused and didn't know how he got there. Maybe Gerald Stanley would have sat down and shared some of the stories of his own youth when he himself was at the river with his friends, getting up to the same kind of uh, harmless shenanigans. Maybe Gerald Stanley in the name of Romans 13, would have collapsed the us versus them dynamic. White farmer versus drunk native. That's the binary all across Saskatchewan, is it not? Maybe Gerald Stanley, in honor and in submission to the governing authority of the crucified Christ, would have collapsed that binary. And he would have saw in Colton Bushy a neighbor, kin, a treaty partner, he would have seen a vision of how he could flourish together, the farmers and the Cree. Maybe even Gerald Stanley could be inspired by that call to neighborliness, and he could have gone all the way, Good Samaritan style. Fix the truck. Well, young Colton is inside enjoying coffee, talking to your wife, trying to figure out, find his mom. Go out there, fix the flat tire, replace the windshield, apologize for the incident with the hammer. Drive him home. Invite him and his mom for lunch. Become friends with someone you were afraid of before. This would fulfill the law of Romans 13. This would be the transgressive love of the spirit which dismantles empire, collapses us versus them divides, and builds community and intimacy in a fractured world. And Paul's invitation in Romans 13 is to dream bigger. So awaken. My beloved, let's dream bigger. You, you all know this about me. Guess what? About a month ago, a guy on a bike stole my catalytic converter. 1 a.m. No joke. I'm in bed. I sleep in a basement. I could hear the grinding sound at 1 a.m. And I woke up like, what idiot is doing construction at 1 a.m.? And then I look out in my window and then like there's a guy on a bike with my catalytic converter down the, down the street. I was very upset and stressed and I was a victim. And this bad man did a bad thing and he broke the law and he's a thief and he should go to jail. 
And I looked on the bonus cares page. This guy's taken a lot of catalytic converters. He took Michelle Webb's catalytic converter. Okay, but guess what happened? It's not the end of the story. I wrote on the Awaken Ace page, hey guys, someone stole my catalytic converter and I don't have a car anymore and I'm very sad about this, something like that. Dot, dot, dot. Within an hour, probably within eight hours, five of you had messaged me, do you need to use my car? You can use my car. I'm not using my car right now. It's free, you, you can use it. Um, I'm actually uh, selling my car and buying a new one, but we'll buy our new one and you can use the one we're gonna sell. Nicole Jackson's like, I'm going out of town for three weeks. My car is just sitting there. You're welcome to use it. Someone just e-transferred me $200 automatic deposit. I don't know what a catalytic converter costs, but I hope that covers it. $200, right? Oh my goodness. My narrative was that that man's a thief and I'm a victim. But then I remembered the narrative of the church. Then I remembered the laws of Christ and the vision Awakened Church was planted on as a bonus parish by the Crips and the Dyers. And I remembered, I remembered the vision of the early church who shared all things in common. My car is your car. My catalytic converter is your catalytic converter. My $200 is your $200. And then it hit me. The man on the bike stealing catalytic converters. How much pain do you have to be in for that to be your life? to drive around with a grinder at 1 a.m. and steal catalytic converters. What community is he lacking? What support does he not have? What love has he never known that that's literally his only hope? And when I begin to pray for that man and think of that man and, and, and ask spirit to generate love for that man, I'm reminded that I'm the thief. If you live in Bones, your bikes have been stolen. That's just a reality. I've had many bikes stolen. Um, Interestingly, though, they're bikes we found in the alley nine out of 10 times. It's like the great bike economy of Boness. Um, we've had our bikes stolen. And it hit me this fall when I looked at my three bikes um, beside my house and I remembered I reflected on the reality that I haven't ridden them once in over a year. And I'm reminded that it's probably not just these poor people in Boness who are dirty, rotten thieves stealing bikes and breaking the law. It's probably the case that I'm a thief and I'm just hoarding bikes. And there's a lot of folks in our neighborhood and I think in the name of Christ and in the law of neighborliness, those bikes probably belong to them. The common cupboard we have, we give food to our neighbors, we bring food. And I've had so many people be like, oh, that's so amazing. Awaken does that. You guys are so generous that you give food uh, for free to your neighbors. And I've reflected on how much of the food in my fridge goes rotten every week, more than 30%. And I'm reminded that we're not being generous and giving food uh, to the common cupboard. Um, we're giving back to our neighbors what rightfully belongs to them. We're giving back what rightfully belongs to them. If there's a neighborhood in the city and there's a church in that neighborhood, there shouldn't be any hungry people in that neighborhood. And if there is, it's because the church has got the script wrong. I'm giving the neighbors what rightfully belongs to them. And, and, and uh, that's the vision of Awaken. And I know, and so hear me out, I'm landing this plane now. It can feel very scary and overwhelming to have your pastor stand up and be like, let them take your catalytic converter. Let them take your bikes. Let them take your food. Why would you protect your private property with four people in a truck driving? You're scared. No, you, you just completely empty yourself and like come what may. That's overwhelming. A lot of you work with vulnerable pop populations. A lot of you are experiencing emotional fatigue, compassion fatigue, and you're like, I actually can't give more. And it's scary. And so let me uh, just, just share the gospel quickly. That's so beautiful. Um, we, we get stuck sometimes imagining that your only two options are to be selfish or selfless right? A selfish person like protects their property, hoards bikes and catalytic converters and foods and cars. And that's so selfish of you. 
A selfless person is the Jesus person who has nothing because he's just emptied himself, emptied himself and never says no, never says no. And, and, and you just empty yourself, empty yourself, empty yourself until you become nothing. Um, and if you grew up in the church, uh, and you were coached to do that one. And you're tired and you've been wounded by that. And even that message of empty yourself like Jesus has been weaponized against you. And I think, wait, Christ advocates for neither. Think about it. Jesus does not advocate for become selfless or, 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 you know, be selfish. He advocates for neither. As Christ empties himself on the cross, he doesn't become less. He becomes bigger, more expansive. Listen to this. Philippians uh, 2, that same verse where, like, he became nothing. He emptied himself and became nothing. Um, verse 14 to 18 says, Do all things without murmuring and arguing, so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked generation. He says, um, but even if I am being poured out as an offering over the sacrifice and the offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you must also be glad and rejoice with me. Um, the text there in Philippians 2 does not say that Christ became nothing, that the Christ became so much bigger. Imagine, just imagine. I think our imagination has just been so stunted. Um, by our like the way we've inherited some of our theology. Imagine if I give up my claim to bikes and catalytic converters and excess food in the name of love for my neighbors. In turn, guess what I gain? Community, friendship, and security. If I make friends with every one of my enemies in Bonas, I'm safe. It's home. I don't need locks on my door. When the gift economy outruns the wage economy, or the garden economy breaks through the concrete of empire. Suddenly, every bike in Boness is mine. Every car in Boness is mine. I see myself in my neighbor, and my neighbor sees himself in me, and together we both meet the Christ. Because it's not my bike, it's Christ's bike. Which is what inspired the early church to share all things in common and say, my bike is your bike. Jesus is not the God-man who emptied himself and became nothing so that I might not suffer eternal torment. It's not a very hopeful gospel. But guess what is? Look around for a moment. Literally, look around at the people in this room. Acknowledge you're a person who's in this room. Your own body, you're here in this room. Imagine folks in other church communities um, that you love. Imagine all the people that have called Awaken Home. Jesus became bigger. He emptied himself to gather the world into himself. And the Christ is getting bigger. He emptied himself so that he could gather you in and become more himself. Hope upon hope, joy upon joy, generosity upon generosity. The gospel is the expansive love of God that gathers all things in. And this is the law of the universe. This is our governing authority. The expansive love of God that turns enemies into neighbors. And so our invitation is to dissolve into Christ for the good of our neighbors, even now as we prepare to receive the body of God into our own, so that we might become the expansive and ever-expanding love 
of God for this world. In Romans 13, Paul does not say Moses did a bad thing. He should have submitted to Pharaoh. Jesus did a bad thing. If you obey the law, you don't get crucified by the Roman Empire. <laughs> right? Capital punishment is usually reserved for like the real bad criminals. Paul was executed by the state because he submitted body and soul to the governing authorities, which is the authority of neighborliness. Paul refused to see anyone he encountered as enemy. And he planted churches everywhere he went, which were communities of people that had no business being friends with each other. And that was the law. That was the vision. Tear down the binary. Become family. I was trying to mix friends and family, and I got family. I'm here for it. Does it work? Family? Become family. It's great. Um, so what I would like to do in conclusion, and then OC is going to come up and invite us all to the table where we get to consume the body of God and become one body and collapse the binaries. What? Embodied remembering? Oh, gosh. Okay. This is a poem by Malcolm Geit, patron saint of Awaken, uh, called Your Neighbor as Yourself. It's a really beautiful poem, um, and I think it gets to the heart of the matter. He says, my neighbor as myself? I cannot learn to love myself at all. I look away. The dark glass only shames me and I burn at what should never see the light of day. And then the voice of God, I'll be the judge of that. For in my light, judgment and healing meet you equally. The self you loathe is precious in my sight and I will have you love it into me. You and your neighbor both must be made whole. Her heart's as dark and needy as your own. So you must love her in her hidden soul, the very soul she's trying to disown. Love her as you are loved, and you will find love is your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind. And so wait, may we be a church who loves the hidden part our neighbors are trying to loathe. And we will be uh, repairers of broken walls. And we will be builders of livable streets. And there will be a garden in this concrete city. Because the law that we submit to is the law of love. And love gets the final say. That's our gospel. So let me pray. And then O.C. will come take us to the table. God of all living beings, earthworms and kings, You tell us that all of the entire universe is held together in Christ. Which sounds to me like we are all a part of the same club. So forgive us, I pray, for building walls that you have come to tear down. I pray that you give us a bigger imagination for what it means to be neighborly. I pray that you would help us to not feel exhausted at the thought of becoming friends with our neighbors. Uh, and rather, I pray that you would meet us in our fatigue, meet us in our burnout, and bring friends towards us. Make our tables bigger and help us to see that we don't need to, in a fear of scarcity, hoard private possessions. 
but that in the spirit of generosity, we can lavish uh, what you have given us into this neighborhood. I pray that you would help us to trust you, to trust that anything we give in your name finds its way back to us in this circle of community. As you poured yourself out to become more you, I pray that you would help Awaken Church to pour itself out to become more you. And so help us to find home in our bodies, help our neighbors to find home in their bodies, and help us to find home together in the body of Christ, I pray. In the name of our wounded healer, in the name of our governing authority, the God who is love. Amen.